Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Well, good morning, church. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. So we are taking a one-week break from the book of Mark. Uh, We've been preaching through the book of Mark verse by verse here, but we're we're taking uh, one week out of that to to preach through Psalm 127. Uh, And the reason that we are doing that is because this morning is a special morning. Now, like any Sunday morning, we gather here this morning to to celebrate King Jesus, to celebrate the life and the salvation that we have in him. But we also are gathering this morning uh, to to celebrate alongside some parents um, who desire to dedicate their children to the Lord. And so as a new church plant, this is our first child dedication service. And so it's always fun to kind of recognize and celebrate these these milestones, these first times that we are doing things. And so uh, this morning is going to be a special morning. We're going to later on in the service, we're going to bring all the the kids from the classes and teachers in and we will have a child dedication uh, at the end of the service. Now listen, if you don't have young kids, uh, you might be starting to wish or think that you would have maybe slept in this morning or, or you know, skip, this might have been a good week to go on vacation or go travel somewhere. But listen, don't, don't check out on me this morning because this passage and what we're talking about, it applies to all of us, okay? We are going to lean a little heavy into application for our parents uh, as this is a special morning for them, but, but th- this passage is applicable to all of us, okay? So stay with me. All scripture is profitable for you, um, so, so don't check out right now, okay? Every one of us needs to hear this. And even if you don't have kids or maybe you don't have young kids in the house right now, um, you are someone's kid, Right? I know that's profound, but all of us, we are someone's kid. And so even if you don't have children or you don't have young children right now in your house, the fact remains that you are someone's child. And therefore, it is going to be beneficial for you to hear what God says about children and about the parent-child relationship. And also, this is going to be beneficial to you because of this. And this is a big one. Here at Franklin City Church, we view raising kids as a community project. Okay? It is. Now, that doesn't mean that individual households and fathers and mothers, it doesn't mean that they don't have responsibility over their own kids. We certainly believe that. But we believe that the Bible teaches all of life, all of life, this pathway that we are on of discipleship and and sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, all of life. This is not meant to be walked alone, but is meant to be walked in community alongside one another. And so we believe this uh, in in church leadership, right? This is why we desire not to have just one sole isolated leader. We desire to lead in a plurality of leaders, a plurality of elders. We believe your personal relationship with God, while it's personal, it should not be private. You weren't meant to follow Jesus by yourself all alone. You were meant to do this in community alongside one another. And so parenting and raising children, it is no exception. It needs to be done in community. And so part of our gathering this morning at the end of the service, it'll actually be where we ask our covenant members to make some commitments to our parents and their children as well, because we do believe this needs to be done in community, parenting and raising up our kids in a way that's honoring to God. It's not done in isolation. It's done as one one new family. 
We all have a responsibility to our children here at this church, okay? Every one of us, we have a responsibility to these kids. And so therefore, we must understand what God says about kids, okay? Because our world has some unhealthy and incorrect views about children and having children and being a parent. And so we need to speak into that this morning. And I don't think that's me just saying it because that's what I think or that's what I observe, but I, I believe there is evidence out there that, that something has happened to our view of parenting, that something has happened to our view of kids that is unhealthy and it is unbiblical. So for example, here's just one sign of that, okay? Just one sign. The birth rate in the United States continues to be on the decline. Even though modern medicine advances and good prenatal health care is becoming more and more available to more and more women, the birth rate has been on a continual decline. And actually in 2017, the birth rate reached a new record low. It was the, rec the lowest recorded birth rate since the government started tracking birth rates since 1900. The lowest birth rate in our country's history. People more and more are not wanting to have children. Now, now certainly there are some cases of, of infertility, of people who desire to have kids, but just for whatever reason, God has not allowed that to happen for them. And so we do want to be mindful uh, of those this morning. We do want to be sensitive to that. But in general, there is an overall mindset of people more and more not wanting to have kids. And listen, the U.S. is not the only country. This is, this is happening worldwide, and this is actually turning into sort of a crisis for some countries. So sociologists in some countries are discovering that their birth rates are so low that they won't be able to sustain their country, and some governments are now even considering paying women to have children to kind of repopulate their society. And listen, listen to this. All over the world, every day, there are more iPhones sold than babies being born. <laughs> All over the world, there are more iPhones being sold each day than babies being born. Now, that says something. I don't even know what all that says. I think you could think about that for a while as to what all that is saying. But it says something, okay? And so I think if you married couples in the evenings, if you would set down your phones, you'd figure out that God actually had something more fun for you in mind as you fall asleep at night, okay? But I'm not going to spell that out for you this morning. I think my mom is here, so uh, we won't talk about that. But, but listen, if we would just set down our phones, we would see that God has something better in mind. And so all over the world, countries are seeing that they're eventually going to have a crisis where the majority of their population is older and they're going to have very few young people. And that's a, that's a little scary, right? I mean, I don't think any of us want to live in a society where dinner is officially at 4.30, right? I mean, I just, this is too early. I don't know if we're ready for that. There's a lot of things that could happen if that took place. But listen to this. Okay. A New Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, we, and for the record, we do not call people here in our congregation old. We call them more seasoned, or we call them closer to glory. One of those two, okay? But we do not call people older. We want a, a diverse age population here, okay? Um, a, New, a New York Times columnist, uh, David Brooks, he wrote this about the declining birth rates, okay? He said, these are all stunningly fast cultural and demographic shifts. The world is moving in the same basic direction from societies oriented around two-parent family, families 
to now cafeteria societies with many options. And listen to this. A Japanese researcher quoted by Brooks was much blunter. He said this. He says, under the social and economic systems of developed countries, the cost of a child outweighs the child's usefulness. The cost of a child outweighs the child's usefulness. Church, that should be a warning light that we have a problem. That humanity has lost its way. You see, when humanity starts talking about kids like that, it shows that we have started to view them as, as possessions or as commodities instead of what God says they are. And I realize this is a bit longer of an intro before we jump into the passage, but it was just, we had to set this up a little bit more before we jumped into this scripture. Because listen, we need to be reminded of what God says. We need to be reminded of God says. He says that children are not just commodities. They are not just burdens. They are not inconveniences. He also says that they are not gods to be worshipped. They are not idols to be, to be lifted up and treasured above all else. No, our passage is going to tell us that they are gifts. They are gifts from the Lord. And this morning, we need to be reminded that as parents, we are not just owners of these gifts. No, they don't belong to us. They belong to God. We are stewards of these gifts. We are stewards of these good gifts from the Lord. And as stewards, we must be faithful in the process of parenting, but then we must trust God with the results. So let's jump into our passage, and we're going to continue to see how, as stewards, we are to be faithful with these precious gifts that God has entrusted to us for a time and how we can love them like God has loved us. So let's look at Psalm 127. Psalm 127, starting in verse 1. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, when the Bible talks about building, okay, when it's talking about, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, when the Bible talks about building, it can certainly mean a physical structure that you are building, right? Like an actual house or an actual city, kingdom, or a wall. But it also is referring to building relationships. And it can be referred to as building a household, building a family, building a church. And this passage does what so many passages in the Bible do. It enters into the tension of God's sovereignty and humanity's responsibility, right? V verse 1 is not telling us to just sit around and be lazy and don't build and be complacent. No, it's saying there should be those of us who build. There should be those of us who watch. There should be those of us who toil, but, but that building and that watching and that toiling and that working, it is pointless. It is useless. It is in vain unless the Lord is the one who is ultimately building. You see, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, God cursed the ground and said that work was now going to be toilsome. 
It was going to be hard. They were going to have to sweat for it. There was going to be thorns and thistles. It was going to be frustrating, right? So listen to these words from Genesis 3, 17 and 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In pain you shall eat of it. By the sweat of your face you shall eat. Working, building, cultivating God's creation, raising it up. Because of sin entering into the world, it is now at times difficult, right? I mean, think about whatever you do for work, whether it's outside of the home or inside the home. Even those of you who absolutely love your job and wouldn't want any other job, even you, at times, work is hard, right? At times, it's, it's toilsome, it's, it's painful, it's frustrating, it can at times be anxiety-producing. It can cause you to grow weary. And, and here's the bad news. If, if God has not redeemed it, if God has not blessed it, it's all in vain. And here's the sad thing. We don't like to talk about sad things very often, but here's a sad thing. Millions of people work their entire life, and they toil, and they strain, and they labor, and they sweat, but they do it for their own glory, they do it for their own money, they do it for their own status, they do it to get, they do it for their own recognition, and they get to the end of their life, and they say, everything I built was pointless. And guess what? They're right. They're right. If it's all done for their glory, if it's all done for their money and their status, it has been pointless. They have wasted their life. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We labor, we toil, we struggle, we work. But if God is not the one building, it is all in vain. Now here's the good news. Here's the good news. Christ came to redeem us from the curse. He came to redeem our work. He came to build a kingdom that will be an everlasting kingdom, and he allows us to take part in that. And that's not just happening for those that are on staff at a church or for professional missionaries. It's happening through all of us out in our different vocations as we work to the glory of God. It is worship, and it is, it is producing fruit that will be beyond whatever we could imagine. It is not wasted work when it is redeemed and done for the glory of God. But here's the weird thing about Psalm 127. And maybe you guys, maybe you guys reading it, maybe you thought this was weird, but I thought it was weird. I think it's weird that we build, we're called to build what we ultimately can't produce. We're called to build. We're not called to just sit around and be lazy and, and watch God build what he's going to build. We, we're called to enter into his work. We're called to build and to work and to take initiative and to cultivate. But we are called to build what we can't ultimately produce in our own power. 
And we're called to watch over what we ultimately can't control. Okay, I mean, we're called to build, like we're called to work, we're called to build up the body of Christ, we're called to start businesses, to cultivate societies, to plant churches, to have children, to build families. But we know that if God does not allow a business to be built, that business won't be built. And if God does not allow a church to be planted, that church won't be planted. We, we, we put the seed in the ground, we water it, we cultivate it, we get it, it's sunlight, but ultimately God has to be the one to cause the growth, right? And, and then we're, we're called to watch over things that we ultimately can't control. Like, like pastors, we're called to watch over uh, churches. Bosses are called to watch over their employees. Parents are called to watch over their children. Brothers and sisters in Christ are called to watch over one another. But we are called to watch over things we ultimately can't control. I can't ultimately control the outcome of this church. I can't ultimately control how my kids turn out. And I can't ultimately control your heart towards God. I play a part in it, but it's not ultimately up to me. And why, why is it this way? Like why? It seems, seems strange to me at first. Why is it this way that we are called to build what we can't ultimately produce? We're called to watch over what we can't ultimately control. Why would God call us and work things out this way? Well, I think one reason is so that by faith, we would rest in God, who is the creator and sustainer of all things. When we build what we can't ultimately produce, and when we watch over what we can't ultimately control, it is God graciously drawing us to himself to find our rest in him. It is God showing us our need to abide in him. John 15, 5, Jesus said this. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so listen, this is such a beautiful and freeing truth that you are called to build and cultivate what you can't ultimately produce. It is. Okay, it is. Parents, you cannot control the outcome of your kids. And I realize that's a little scary at first, right? Parents hear that. That's scary that they ultimately can't control how their kids turn out until, it's scary until you remember the one who can. And he loves your kids more than you love your kids. And I know that's hard to even fathom. I can't imagine someone loving my kids more than I love my kids, but that's mainly because we're just scratching the surface of how, how wide and how deep and how great the love of God is for us. We're just starting to understand it a little bit, this side of eternity. We're just starting to get our minds around the love of God a little bit, so it's hard for us to fathom, but it is true that God loves our kids more than we love our kids. And so we can trust him. We can trust him with them. 
We can be faithful in the process. We can build alongside, right? We can take part in how he's cultivating and training and teaching our kids, but ultimately we can sleep at night because we trust that their future is in his hands. And he's a good God who loves them more than we love them, and he's more faithful to them than we've been faithful to them. He wants you to pray for them. He wants you to teach them. He wants you to love them. But then he wants you to trust him with their future. And church, that is a good gift from God. The sovereignty of God is why you can go to sleep at night. Okay, I realize it seems like a little bit of a contradiction. We're doing a child dedication service, and I'm saying, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Like, that seems like two opposite things. Is the Bible contradicting itself? What's happening here? How can God give us children as gifts and give us sleep? I don't see how those two are working together. It's because the sovereignty of God, it is because that he is in control of all things, that we can sleep at night. We can work hard during the day. We can build. We can watch over. We can cultivate. But then when we sleep at night, we can trust that he is a sovereign God. This is how he gives his beloved sleep. If God wasn't in control, you probably should not sleep very well at night, okay? You probably should stay up a few extra hours and plan and strategize and map out a life plan for your kids and and figure out how to shelter them from everything that could come against them that next day and make sure that they have everything possible at their disposal to reach the goals that you have set for them. But no, the people of God, while we are not lazy people by any means, we are a restful people, okay? When you start to understand a little bit more about God, you you don't become lazy. You actually work harder, but you are a restful person. You know how to sleep and rest and trust that God is in control. We work hard, but then we trust that he is in control and we can sleep at night. Look at Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. So you guys remember that, what that researcher quoted in the New York Times, he said, the cost of a child outweighs the child's usefulness. God says, no, children are not commodities, they aren't Burdens, they aren't inconveniences. Children are a heritage, meaning a gift from the Lord. They are a reward to us. They are gifts from God. You see, when we let our consumer culture and the marketplace start to control how we view our relationships, many times we start to, to view the relationships that we have, uh, whether it be with God or with our spouse or with our kids or with our church, when the consumer culture starts coming in, we start to view those relationships as a contract instead of, of a covenant, Okay, when when the consumer culture seeps into our relationships, we start to think of them as contractual relationships instead of covenantal relationships. And let me explain for a few minutes what I mean by that. Contracts are dependent upon performance. Right? I mean, if, if you are doing business with someone, you go and you sign a paper that you will pay them a certain amount. 
and in return, they will give a certain good or service or product to you, right? That is a, a, a contract. It's dependent upon performance. It's dependent upon each one meeting the needs of the other. It's a conditional thing. And I know Kevin right now is probably impressed with my business savvy that I understand that, right? But that is a contract where you agree upon, I will do this, and you in return will provide this, and we will enter into a contract with one another. But it's conditional, right? Like if you don't pay or they don't give you what you thought they would give you, then the contract is broken. In a contract, the individual's needs are greater than the actual relationship, right? Contract relationships, is, they're based upon the needs and one meeting the other's needs, but they're, they're not really based on the relationship. And I can break off the contract if my needs aren't being met or aren't seemingly being met by the other party. And church, listen, contracts are fine for businesses, but God had something better in mind for his people. God's love for us is not contractual. Like, like if we do this and don't do that, then God will love us and save us. That's not how it works. No, God's got something better for his people. And in, in marriage, God does not tell us to make a contract in marriage, right? Like, if the husband or wife does this but doesn't do that, then you will love them in return. That's not what we call people to in marriage. As long as your spouse is performing up to your expectations of them, then you will love them in return. No, that's, that's not what the Bible speaks of about marriage. That's a contract. God's got something better in mind than a contract in marriage. And then don't we see the contract mentality start to even creep into our churches? Like if the pastors and the staff just provide a certain set of goods and services to meet my needs, then I will commit and be a part of them. But no, church, God's got something better in mind for his people. And this idea of contracts then has also started to seep into the minds of parents. Right? Many a father has thought, if my son has the same interests as me and the same personality as me, then I will love him and spend time with him. Many a parent has pressured their kid to live up to what the parent thought was in the contract, right? Like the parent, in the parent's mind, they thought, hey, if I discipline, love, feed, teach, and house this child, then my child will always be healthy. My child will always be well-behaved. My child will always follow Jesus. My child will always do well in school. My child will always go to college. My child will marry the person I want them to marry. My child will make a lot of money. It's a contract mentality. And church, God has something better in mind for our relationships with him and with one another than contracts. And they're called covenants. Covenants. A covenantal relationship in contrast to contracts, they are not maintained by performance. There is an unconditional love and loyalty that one commits in a covenant. When someone enters a covenant, they're saying, I want a relationship. I don't want just to use you for a certain good or service or product, but I want a relationship. I want to unconditionally love you. And so this is what we call people to in marriage. 
Because there's right that deeper joy and intimacy you experience when you covenant with God and with one another to unconditionally love one another, no matter how you feel or no matter how they are meeting your expectations, right? It is an unconditional love and commitment you make in marriage. And in the same way, it is a covenant that we are going to call parents to make this morning as they dedicate their children. We are asking them to extend the same grace and unconditional love that God has extended to them. We're asking that they extend that same unconditional covenantal love to their kids. We're asking them to commit to praying for their kids and teaching their kids how to pray. We're asking them to commit to, with the help of the church, teach their kids to enjoy God and to follow his word. And we're asking our parents to obey passages like Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 and 7, which says this. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. We're calling them to to obey passages like Psalm 78, verses 5 and 7, which says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. But church, this isn't a contract we make with one another or with our spouse or with our kids or with our God. No, God designed us to experience the love and intimacy that comes from covenantal relationships. Now, in our own strength, okay, in our own strength, we can't perfectly keep these covenants that we enter into. Right? Like, be, be real and be honest. Go home and, and read your wedding vows. Go read our church covenant. Go, go read what the parents are going to commit to later on. In our own strength, we can't perfectly and always keep these covenants. And you've got to know that. You've got to know that. You've got to understand that. And you've even got to embrace that. Why? Why? Why do I want you to embrace that and know that and understand that? For the very same reason that I said, why would God have it that we would build what we can't produce and we'd watch over what we can't ultimately control? We must embrace the fact that in our own strength, we cannot be perfect covenant keepers so that by faith, we will rest in the one who can. Because there is a perfect covenant keeper. And there is a one perfect and true promise keeper. And we must embrace and help our kids embrace this too, that by our own strength, yes, we enter into covenantal relationships, but we know that we cannot perfectly keep them. And we embrace that so that we can, by faith, rest in the one who can. God is the only true and perfect covenant keeper. And he came to earth and put on flesh to be the perfect covenant keeper on our behalf. 
God saw the state that we were in. He saw that we were dead in our sin, that we were paralyzed by it, that we lost our ability and our desire to go to God. We lost our ability to love covenantally like he loved. He saw we stood condemned and guilty because of our own sin and rebellion against him. And he saw us entering into these contractual relationships where we used people instead of covenantal relationships where we loved people. And although we did not deserve his love and forgiveness, this God who is rich in mercy kept his covenantal and unconditional love for his people and he came to earth to save us. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, lived the perfect life of obedience we we failed to live so that his covenant-keeping righteousness could be credited to us. And he died a sacrificial death on a cross in our place, paying the penalty for our sin, releasing us from the power of sin. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Defeating Satan's sin and death, he's now ruling, reigning, and restoring all things, and he's calling a people to himself, and it is all by grace. God's undeserved favor. There's nothing that we can do to deserve or earn salvation. It is merely and gloriously by the grace of God, and it is a gift. It is a gift that is received through faith, through actively trusting that our salvation was accomplished in Christ alone. And it is a salvation that produces in us hearts of repentance, hearts that are becoming more and more like Jesus, hearts that are losing their taste for sin and finding their ultimate joy in God. And so, church, I hope that you build what you can't ultimately produce. And I hope you watch over what you can't ultimately control. And I hope that you covenant what in your own strength you can't keep. So that by faith you would find rest in Christ and Christ alone for life and salvation. And church, we'll close with this. Let me read the rest of the psalm. Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, we're just going to be real brief on this. I'm closing with this. I want to have plenty of time for the rest of our service. But do you, do you know what arrows are made for? It, it's not to live in your basement till they're 30, okay? Ar- arrows are not made to be strapped on your back forever, okay? Arrows are made to be shot out to be shot out into the world and to trust that God knows where they will land. Children are gifts from the Lord that we are to be faithful for a time, to steward for a time, and then they are to be sent out. They are to be shot out into the world, trusting that God will guide their steps, trusting that we know they ultimately belong to God. And as we're still fairly a a very new church, I don't know exactly what the future and future ministries will look like, but I do know this for sure. We've got some arrows here. We've got some arrows to shoot out into the world. And we must be faithful to prepare them and love them and teach them 
and pray for them. And so we are grateful stewards. And as grateful stewards, we build what we ultimately can't produce. We watch over what we can't ultimately control. We covenant what we can't ultimately keep by our own strength so that by faith we would rest in God. Let's pray. Father, you call us to some big and glorious and amazing callings and jobs and responsibilities. And Lord, I'm overwhelmed at just how beautiful and big a calling it is to be called a parent. And I thank you for the gifts that you have given us, for the children that you have blessed us with here at this church. And God, I ask that you would help all of us, not just our parents, but every person here at this church. I ask that you would give us a right understanding, a biblical understanding of how you view our children. That they are gifts from you. And as gifts, God, I ask that you would empower us and help us steward these gifts well. Help us love them and pray for them well. And God, all along the way, we will trust in your grace and in your power and your strength to do what only you can do. May we continually run to you. May we rest and trust in the gospel. And may we live empowered by your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.